Hi, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to be talking with Austin Kopic and Kelly Surtees about the astrological forecast for October of 2020. Uh, hey guys, welcome to the show. Hey. hey. All right, we have got a jam-packed show. We've got a lot to talk about for October. It was a little bit of a continuation of some of the themes from last month with the Mars retrograde and all, but we also have a lot of unique uh, sort of configurations with Mercury retrograde, full moons conjunct Uranus, and lots of other stuff. So let's go ahead and jump right into it, starting with the animation for the month. So as always, um, Paula Bellomini does our calendars each month. She's their illustrator. And this month, um, Hugh Tran animated the movements calendar just to show us where the planets will start at the beginning of the month and where they will end up by the end of the month. So we go into the month, of course, with the Mars-Saturn square between Mars in late Aries and Saturn in late Capricorn being very exact and actually going exact on September 29th. Um, later in the month, one of the main things that happens in October is Mercury stations retrograde in Scorpio opposite to Uranus. Uh, we've also got lunations um, this month in various signs, which I'll get into next. But that's kind of the, the movements of where the planets start and where they end by the very end of the month. The other animation I wanted to share was showing the calendar just with some specific uh, dates. So let me see where my dates calendar is. Ah, there it is. All right, so um, in the month of October, we start out with a full moon in Aries. That's actually the first full moon of this month. Shortly after that, Venus moves into Virgo on the 2nd of October. Then Pluto stations direct on the 4th of October. It's the third of three planets stationing direct in Capricorn. Jupiter sextile Neptune exact on the 12th. Mercury stations retrograde on the 13th in Scorpio. There's a new moon in Libra on the 16th followed by the Sun moving into Scorpio, as it always does around this time of the year on the 22nd. Uh, the Sun gets halfway through its, Mercury gets halfway through its retrograde cycle and conjoins the Sun on the 25th. Mercury and Venus go into Libra simultaneously on the 27th, and then we have a full Moon conjunct Uranus in Taurus on the 31st. And that's pretty much the core this month of the astrology of October. So that's the, the brief sort of overview. Now we're going to get into a detailed breakdown starting from the very top of the month for the next hour or so, and then we'll talk about some miscellaneous topics later in the episode once we finish with the forecast. Uh, we've got an audience of about 160, 170 people joining us today, so thanks all the patrons who joined us for this live uh, recording of our forecast for October. We appreciate it. Um, yeah, let's get into the forecast, guys. So. Uh, we are actually recording this episode a little bit early this month, I think because we were trying to avoid some of the really tough, tense aspects at the very end of September. But that means that one of the main or major aspects of September hasn't happened yet. So we might want to touch, touch on that because that aspect happens the Mars-Saturn square on the 29th of September while Saturn is stationing direct in Capricorn. And that energy kind of carries through into October a bit. So maybe that might be a good starting point for where we're at now. What do you think? Yeah. It's definitely a big I mean, vibe, the, big mood. 
All right, here's our chart for, for right now for September 22nd and our little electional chart where we waited for SAG rising here in Denver. Let me move it forward a few days so that you can see what that looks like on the 29th, um, where we have Mars exactly at 25 degrees of Aries, retrograde now, and squaring Saturn at 25 degrees of Capricorn. So this is the second of three Mars um, Saturn squares, and Mars will then go on to square Pluto and I believe square Jupiter this month as it gets about halfway through its retrograde cycle during the course of October. So how is the Mars retrograde been going for you guys so far? Uh, I hear it's been a picnic largely for you up in Oregon, Austin. Yeah, so in keeping with 2020s, all the astrology is extremely literal theme. Um, I woke up on uh, the Tuesday about 20, I don't know, within one day of the Mars retrograde station and everything was on fire and the smoke was filled or and the sky was filled with ash. Um, uh, as I'm sure everyone knows, a lot of the, there were uh, big fires all up and down the West coast. And we'd had a really good fire season, you know, fire, fire is part of what happens here. And this year we'd had a really good, uh, we'd had a really good run. And so this was, it was literally the last heat wave, um, before the fall weather was coming and it coincided with, um, uh, uh, record winds. And so the combination of hot, dry with extremely windy is how you get, uh, how you get swiftly moving fires. Mm. And so there was one that started ooh, maybe 25 miles away. And then just over the course of the afternoon, um, just ate, uh, just climbed up the I five corridor towards us. I think maybe it's, it stopped a little under it got it got stopped a little under 10 miles away but we were um we were under uh like preparatory evacuation warnings for quite some time and um you know it's funny because um i use what i what i con consistently experience is that mars retrograde periods are not productive for me or it's very difficult to be productive and sometimes those reasons are internal um in this case they're very external you know having to get ready to go because the wildfires are coming um <laughs> is uh it's an external reason um and so yeah that kind of like ate a lot of our you know the middle of our month was interesting though it's funny um is that Kate had planned to take a, a hiatus and close the store down just temporarily for a couple of weeks uh, in keeping with the Mars retrograde and just to catch up on some things and get ahead on other things. And so that um, that coincided perfectly with, you know, it was planned to coincide with the Mars retrograde station. And so that ended up being a fan, not just a good idea, but a fantastic idea. Right. Because, mm. uh, you know, getting a week or two, uh, a week or two um, eaten by natural disaster um, would have been a much bigger, would have been much more trouble if uh, things were going full blast. And so it just kind of shows right. you that you can plan for things without necessarily knowing what they're going to be. 
um, if you know what the nature of the thing is and what it's likely going to do, you can make space for that or, you know, wrap your plans around it or create a void of plans where you're more flexible. Um, and we didn't know it would be wildfires, um, but that was the, it was the right answer, even though we didn't know the question. Yeah. That's a really great way of describing it, Austin, like creating a void so that you then have some flexibility. Uh, I've had something similar. You, you, you also mentioned not being as productive. And I've had something similar where I just, you know, earlier in the year, I was like, I just want to cut down my regular commitments each week just so I have a bit more space. And it turned out that it's been a really good thing because since this Mars Saturn square has been forming, I started suffering from migraines again, which I haven't suffered from for a few years. And a little bit related to my hormonal cycle, which when I did suffer from migraines a few years ago, it was connected to that. And when I researched it then, both in traditional Chinese medicine and in Ayurvedic medicine, they talk about it having to do with this excess of heat or dryness in the body. And I thought that was so interesting because we've been talking about how, you know, Mars and Saturn is creating this very kind of dry um, sim uh, aspect. You know, it's a very drying kind of combination. And so having planned to do less work turned out to be a good thing because as anybody who suffers from migraines knows, they can kind of strike you out of the blue at any moment and you have to immediately stop whatever you're doing and go and take care of your body, whether that is trying to hydrate or take some supplements or however you approach it. And so I have been working less, not because I just thought I'd be doing less, but because I've had to attend this to this health thing. So it wasn't quite what I expected, just like you, Austin, but I'm very grateful that, you know, the schedule was a bit lighter for this time frame. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's funny. It's like that, a wildfire in your head. It basically, because <laughs> there's usually insomnia that goes with that. So that's also, you know, a, a product productivity reduction thing. It's funny sometimes when it's internal uh, but still very literal like that versus like external and very literal. I know all of the astrologers were marveling over how literal the fires were and just some of the images that were coming out of the West Coast um, around September 9th, like where people in like San Francisco and stuff were waking up and looking outside and it literally looked like Mars. Uh, this is a video that was posted and taken September 9th of a guy that was flying a drone around San Francisco titled San Francisco looking like Blade Runner. And some of the images in that were just wild of like um, the atmosphere mm. literally just being this red color um, as if it looked like Mars. And that was, of course, the day that Mars stationed retrograde in September, as we talked about uh, in our forecast last month. And we can see in the, the calendar right here, Mars stationing retrograde on the 9th of September. So the alignment of that was just pretty pretty wild and pretty striking. That was really bizarre to see the news coming out of America just with these red landscapes as Mars was stationing retrograde. It's kind of so literal. Yeah, totally. So and and that's been something that's been interesting for me to get used to over the past few years is before I was doing mundane astrology with you guys on a monthly basis, I used to think people were like cherry picking news stories sometimes when things like that would happen where there'd be an alignment coming up and then something would happen in the news and it would actually be symbolically related but then you're like well that's weird because it's only going to be applying to that one group of people in that part of the world and it's not a, like a worldwide phenomenon necessarily 
But sometimes that's what I've learned over the past few years is that's still relevant. And it's just one instance of how the symbolism is manifesting in a way that's visible, that's being picked up by the news for one group of people. But there's probably lots of other manifestations that are happening for different people that just aren't apparent and aren't getting as much publicity, but are still just as relevant in fitting the symbolism in some way. So in that way, it's not really cherry picking to point out those things that are happening in the news because it happens so consistently when you have a major mundane astrological phenomenon like that. Totally. Okay. So um, any other Mars retrograde stories or anecdotes that you guys have had so far or observations about it? <sighs> I mean, to be honest, I, I have um, the local situation has distracted me from the larger national or international situation. <laughs> We've, um, you know, it, it's been watching the fires and you know, watching a pretty encouraging like regional response, like a lot of people um, are helping the people are, you know, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of volunteer work and donations that are going on to help the people whose uh, homes got shredded. Because even though the fires got brought under control-ish around here um, pretty quickly, that one day of high winds just tore up um, two small towns near us. And I think we had 2500 like there there was a loss of 2500 residential structures um it ate through the trailer parks and then ate a bunch of houses before it got stopped so it's been nice to see people coming together uh to help but yeah i've been um i've been somewhat distracted by all that yeah for sure um one of my i've had a few anecdotes like some of them i can talk about and some of them i can't yet one of them that was funny in a way in its literalness was I have Mars um, in the 12th house in Capricorn, and so transiting Mars going through Aries, since I have Aquarius rising, Aries is my third whole sign house, which the third house has significations like communication, writing, but also short distance travel and cars and things like that. And I remember my friend Cam White earlier this year, he said, you know, be careful driving when Mars goes retrograde, because maybe that's like a car accident or some challenging event related to short distance travel. And um, what ended up happening is that the day that Mars exactly squared my natal Mars as Mars was going through the third house, um, I recently I had this really old car. It was like 20 years old. I've been driving it forever. It had a over 300,000 miles and the odometer stopped. So I finally got a new car this year and I was trying to figure out what to do with the old car. So I had it parked on the street for like a month or two as I was trying to find a way to sell it or to give it to, to a charity or something like that. And um, the day that Mars squared my natal Mars, the car got towed and it got impounded because the plates had expired. And what's funny is I didn't know about that at the time because Mars is in the 12th house. So sometimes it's like something can happen and I won't find out about it until later. Uh, which is a frequent occurrence with that 12th house thing, but it was a surprisingly literal transit. Um, the positive side about it is it resolved the car issue because now it's just a non-issue and they've taken it away. And like I don't need to get it back because I didn't want the car and it was almost ready to break down anyway because transiting Jupiter was on 19 degrees of Capricorn simultaneously at the same time. So I was having both an extremely negative transit where the car literally was like snatched away unexpectedly. And I had an extremely positive transit where it's like it resolved the car issue for me, even if it wasn't like 
what I was originally shooting for. So talking about literal transits there, it's pretty good. This is a good one. Oh, one thing I will say um, is that as someone who watches uh, mixed martial arts competitions pretty regularly, um, they're they're extra fun during Mars retrogrades because you get a lot more unexpected results. So I'm looking forward to some of the big events. Um, there was a decent one last Saturday, and in a very like Mars retrograde theme, two um, veteran fighters. Um, after watching their performance, everyone was like, "Yeah, they should retire." Right, which is very oh, Mars retrograde. They're like, you know, you had a good run, and either your body's not there, or you know, your mind's not there. Maybe it's time to hang it up. Um, and that was literally the um, like the the main event and co-main event from last Saturday. Um, wow. And so when we, I remember we watched when we were watching um, uh, UFC competitions during the last Mars retrograde about two years ago. Um, there were so many, like, there were so many surprising results. There were so many, like, underdogs and, you know, uh, underdogs being victorious. It was, it was much more shocking. It wasn't just like, yeah, they're slightly better. So they kind of won. Um, I remember Kate saying, uh, like, I like watching this a lot more when Mars is retrograde because crazy shit happens, um, which makes sense. It's more unexpected. It's Mars. Um, in the most, you know, we could say during the during the most unorthodox portion of the cycle. So I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, and I really just encourage everyone to think about and look at what house Mars is going retrograde in in your chart. And sometimes you'll see because I've had two or three different manifestations of that transit so far in those house significations and in the year ahead horoscopes that I did for all of 2020. Lisa Scheim and I went through for each rising sign and gave some delineations of what Mars retrograde could look like and some of the significations it could hit during this part of the house or part of the year. So people should check it out. All right. So let's jump into the very first um, thing that happens in October, which is right away on the very first of the month, um, we have our first lunation, which is a full moon in the sign of Aries. So that's really highlighting. Um, some signs, the cardinal signs that are already receiving a lot of tension and a lot of attention this year. Um, here's the chart for that full moon where we see the full moon will happen at about nine degrees of Aries. Um, and then only a day later, Mars, of course, will then conjoin uh, transiting Mars, which will be at 24 degrees of Aries, and it'll square Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn, which are all towards the end of Capricorn. So, um, for a lot of people, having a full moon in Aries in the sign where Mars has already been retrograding is going to lead to a sort of culmination of events that have been building up or a highlighting of that part of your life or that part of your chart, um, especially if that's been active lately due to the Mars retrograde. It's definitely a very amplifying type full moon in that it's just bringing a huge dose of this Mars retro and Aries vibe that we're already so infused with. It's like, let's just make it even more. Yeah. And it's funny that it's like, I still have Chiron in the chart because the last episode I did was on Chiron with Melanie Reinhardt. And it is kind of interesting if one uses asteroids or, or pays attention to Chiron that the full moon is pretty closely, will be within two degrees conjunct Chiron which is currently transiting seven degrees of Aries at this time. Are you guys big big Chiron fans? 
I'm not using it these days in my charts, but uh, I know that, you know, other people do. And you had a very popular episode on it recently. Yes. Thank you. That was a very good political answer. Uh, Austin, you're similarly uh, not as enthused with Chiron. I used to be, I used to be super into Chiron for like the first four years of my studies, and then I stopped doing asteroids for a good 10 or 15 years. Well, the late- I mean, it's not an asteroid, right? It's a, it's yeah. a planetoid. It's not it's part a, of the it's asteroid. It's its own no. thing. It's a minor, minor yeah. planet. Well, it's a, or a yeah, co- comet, actually. I learned it's got a dual, they're arguing about its association, and some astronomers are still classifying it as like a comet at this point. Like a captured comet, it's considerably larger than comets. Anyway, I um, I I look at it. Um, I treat it sort of um, not as a fixed star, but with not dissimilar rules. If um, if there's like a natal angle or planet closely conjoined it, um, I I, I will take that into consideration. I often see that. Mm-hmm. I see it contributing meaningfully to what's going on in a person's life. So yeah, like uh, it's not priority. It's not, you know, the sun or the moon or, you know, Jupiter, but it's it's a thing that does stuff. Yeah. I think we get, we can all agree on that that it's a thing that does stuff. Um well, not everyone agrees that it does stuff. That's a good point. Um well, I've recently come around and I agree again and I always knew that it was a thing that does stuff. I've been re familiarized with it as a result of the past few months. And I think um, I can see now, if depending on what your focus is and what type of astrology you're trying to do and what you're trying to accomplish in natal readings, how it could be a lot more useful, especially if you're doing more therapeutic or psychological readings, perhaps that would be much more useful. Um, and it's sort of reinterested me in that part of modern astrology in a way. Um, it's probably not something I'll continue to look at like regularly, but I could definitely see how one could do some interesting work with it. And it certainly at least in my view, it was relevant in doing something. All right, but let's get back to the actual forecast. Um, how are you feeling about this full moon, Austin? Uh, let's see. Not looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, uh, there's I'm a lot feeling of those about things it. this month. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say apprehensive. I'm actually. I guess this is appropriate for all this airy stuff. I'm feeling impatient. I'd like to just get all this over with. Like I've been, you know, been looking at this for a year and been like, oh, that's gonna be terrible. Right. Can we just do this? I'm I'm rather tired of um, you know, thinking about what it's gonna be like. It's like, yeah, yeah, I've got a pretty good idea. Can we just do this and then get to the other side? Mm. Um, I would say that this this looks inflammatory to me. You know, it's mm. and there's the full moon that's itself where We've got you know the moon and the sun both at nine degrees cardinal, um, but then it's the day after the full moon when the moon conjoins Mars and square Saturn and Pluto mm. um, that I think will be more unpleasant, you know, because that that's really that's that's the trouble spot, right? Is late cardinal, you know, end of Aries, end of Capricorn, et cetera, et cetera, right. and so. You know, anything, I believe that was one of my proposed titles for last month was, oh my God, something's at the end of a, a something, the moon's at the end of a cardinal sign again, September. Um, that applies slightly less so to October, but, you know, it's that, that Mars, Saturn, Pluto uh, configuration that's really, you know, the, the font of all woe um in october as well as september and so yeah the moon you know the moon fire the full moon fires that up 
And what's interesting, I was I was thinking about that. I was like, oh, well, the next day is actually going to be rougher. And then what's funny is the next day, the moon conjoins Uranus and opposes Mercury, which really takes us straight into the, the other theme for the month. Because really, mm-hmm. we've got two themes for October, right? We've got Mars, Saturn, Pluto, and then we have this rather extended um mercury uranus opposition that then gets further emphasized um by the full moon at the end of the month right so it's really mercury uranus you know surprises <laughs> disruptions uh to communications and transportations um one might even say that there are some october surprises which are suggested by the yeah uh, that's by my, the astrology that's my working title for this month is october surprise not just due to the Mercury opposing Uranus off and on all month and stationing retrograde opposite Uranus, which would almost be enough in and of itself to do that. But then discovering that there's also a full moon in Taurus that is almost exactly conjunct Uranus at the very end of the month. So there's like this recurring unexpected surprise and like disruption theme that's happening off and on most of October. Yeah. I mean, and that's, and so we have that, right? With the full moon. Um, the the full moon uh, firing up the Mars Saturn Pluto right that's uh, I don't know what we'd call that like ongoing shit show um, and then uh, which we had all of September so it's not new it's just more of that but then what's you know what's novel in October what that wasn't part of September is the Mercury Uranus thing and then that's that's fired up uh, on the third so we're introduced to the month's themes pretty clearly pretty early. And there, there isn't really a lot that disrupts that. There's really not much that gets in the way of those themes. If anything, they get further intensified the further we get into the month. Ooh, I like that. Somebody just suggested as an episode title, Trick or Trick. Trick or Trick. Yeah, there's no traits coming. <laughs> yeah, I've been thinking about how Mars is so late in Cardinal, in Aries, and Uranus is relatively early in Taurus. So we have this sort of 36-hour window each month where the moon goes through late Aries and then early Taurus. There's like back-to-back, the moon's with Mars and then the moon's with Uranus. And that's kind of just been in the background, but that's really amplified this October with the two different full moons. One is, you know, going to be in the same sign as Mars, and the other one then is conjunct Uranus. So that idea of things being certainly under the Aries full moon, there's a volatility, combustible, um, impulsive, reckless tone. I think, Austin, you had used the word inflammatory, which I think is also mm-hmm. a really great word for that full moon. Yeah, that's one of my favorite. Uh, it's one of my favorite like go-to Mars words because it resonates both um, internally and externally. Like Kelly, I know yeah. you've done the uh, you've done the the vocab building that is like writing dailies or weeklies or whatever for years. You're like, oh my god, come up with like I need more descriptive words for Mars. I can't just say fiery Mars a thousand times. No. Yeah, inflammatory is a good one. That would yeah. be a good book, like somebody to write like a thesaurus of astrology, like combinations and like different combinations of words that you can use for for them. 
Yes. One of the, so I thought I had explored them all several years ago. Um, but I gave a talk, uh, down in the Southwest. Um, and we stayed with, uh, Catherine Basket, who's a great astrologer down there. And she used the term peppery for Mars. And I loved that. Mm. I was like, Oh my God. That's a good it's one. Another word. I had, I'd never thought of peppery. Yeah. That's fantastic. Cause so, peppery can be moderate or extreme. And everybody gets when they, you know, like a bit of pepper or too much spice. When you said peppery, it made me think of spice, spicy. And uh, yeah, yeah. everybody's well, spice spicy. preference level is different. October is like when you're trying to put a little bit of pepper like into your dish, but then somebody's unscrewed the cap the and the entire thing falls out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly yeah. it. So that yeah, is that uh, is the Mars retrograde. Yes. Um, and here's a ghost pepper month. Ghost, ghost, ooh, yeah, ghost, yeah. Po- ghost pepper October. Ghost little, pepper little October. There's theme. some great. I mean, this is definitely crowdsourcing titles coming through here from our live oh, audience. I like that. Um, this graphic for the video viewers, uh, Kyle from Archetypal Explorer whipped up using his program that we showed off last month, but it shows when Mars hits some of those exact squares with the planets in Capricorn this month. So Mars square Saturn going exact at the end of September, then Mars square Pluto around the second week of October, and finally Mars square Jupiter around the third week of October. Um, and interestingly, this month at the bottom, he shows when Mars hits its maximum retrograde period in terms of its speed, and that's also happening right in the middle of October. So that's one of the reasons why we're really emphasizing and focusing on this notion of um, yeah the inflammatory or the peppery nature of Mars being really ramped up and intensified this month. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of it as a general theme. For me, the two standouts when the Mars retro in Aries vibe is really amplified are the full moon at the top of the month in Aries, and the other one is when the Sun and Mars oppose around the middle of the month. Um, that feels also like a very peppery, spicy type of day. Yeah, I know, so I know that, we're not there yet, but those two really stand out from Mars for me this well, month. So just to go back to point. yeah, so we've got this Mars, you know, and Mars provides um, intemperate heat, right? Yeah. Which is peppery, which is inflammatory, et cetera, et cetera. But <clears throat> you know the um, the awful that uh, has been provided this year and will continue to be um, on demand uh, for this month is really the interaction between Mars and Saturn. And one you could also argue Pluto. Um, but it's it's not just one malefic, it's two very strong malefics um in contest with each other, right? You know, if uh, right. uh, it's like, you know, like so let's say that there, you know, there's an army in camp nearby and if you get too near them, they shoot you with their machine guns. You can just not go near that. Mm-hmm. But when there are two malefics, and this is the you know uh, an alternate version of the metaphor, uh, the traditional metaphor of besiegement, right? When a planet is stuck between two malefics, is World War One style, you're stuck in no man's land between two armies, and so there's kind of nowhere to go. You just have to, um, you know, stay low <laughs> and maneuver um, because there's not there there's no uh, there there isn't shelter or safety. Right. Um, and I was thinking about this Mars Saturn thing um, when we were having the wildfires, because in um, uh, in the style of Vedic that I've learned from Freedom Cole, 
um, we the when Mars and Saturn are configured, and this this principle is extended to some other planets and, and points, but um, in a certain way, uh, we have what's called a curse condition, which is different than a normal affliction. And the idea is that to get a curse condition, right, which is very similar to being besieged, right, which is you can't escape it. Um, you need both fire, you need a fire malefic, which is Mars. And in that tradition, Saturn is a wind malefic. And they're like, mm -hmm. you know, and so the way I was taught that is you need both fire and wind, right? You need to set something on fire and then you need the wind to push that fire everywhere, right? And so to make it as dangerous um, and destructive as possible. Right. And so what's hilarious, well, what's kind of hilarious, depending on your mood, you know, as I woke up on, uh, you know, to the day of Mars, uh, right on the station on the 8th of September. And they're like, yeah, there's some fires. And because of the incredible wind, it's much more dangerous uh, than it normally would. And I was like, oh, it's the fire wind curse dynamic. Like this is um, this is this is this is another point for astrology being shockingly literal uh, in 2020. I was like, yeah, that was the uh, that was the metaphor that uh, we were taught for. You know, um, uh, we could say that's kind of a, a Vedic parasha parasharan <laughs> parashara inspired. Um, version of besiegement, right? Where it's not just an affliction, it's a special, like you're stuck. Um, and it was funny because there were fires in multiple directions and we were looking at escape routes. We're like, oh, okay, well, we can't go that way because, you know, we can't go south on the I-5. Oh, and we can't go north. We'd have to head, you know, out west on the 238. Um, and that's, that's, that's what those kind of configurations feel like, right? And it, it's just important. I feel like this is important to bring up because this isn't just Mars. If it was just Mars, it'd be a pain in the ass. Um, and it's not just Saturn, right? It, mm. It's um, the the great difficulties of this year and this season are the result of, um, you know, being between a rock and a hot place. Yeah, one thing, and this is kind of relevant to specifically October, I'm interested when we get Mars and Saturn separated by about three degrees, which kicks in around the 10th or the 11th of the month. It doesn't remove the Mars-Saturn stuff. It's still there. But I, I'm wondering if we see a, a like a shift in intensity with that just becoming less degree-based and a little bit more sign-based. We may not see any change, but I'm just holding a curiosity about that because we've been in really tight degree-based Mars-Saturn stuff since about the middle of August. Yeah, it's hard because we start off with that energy so strong at the beginning of the month since it's exact on the 29th of September. And the other thing that's happening is not just Saturn stations, but also um, Pluto stations on the 4th of October. So there's an intensification of that energy of Pluto there in Capricorn, and it's the third, the final of three planets, starting with Jupiter, then Saturn, and then finally Pluto that's stationed direct in Capricorn and begin moving forward again, um, indicating a sort of intensification of that energy and Mars. Um, squaring all of them still around that time. But then you're right, at least it does start to finally get some distance from Pluto, or Mars starts to get some distance from Saturn after that. Yeah, we do have you the know, Pluto would, station. Sorry. So, yeah, Austin. Oh, no, I was just going to say, Kelly, I think that um, I would agree that we would get um, some relief from that getting further than three degrees out if Pluto wasn't right there. Mm. 
Um, you know, Pluto, <laughs> um, I don't know whether Pluto is a fire malefic or a wind malefic or what, um, but it's definitely um, not it doesn't a benefic. help. Yeah. And then, and then we have the, then we have the sun heading towards we do have that, the sun. Um, T square yeah. and all that. What is the our, just is- to so, but give I mean, people some keywords again, really quickly, what are our Mars square Saturn um, keywords? Like frustration, I know is a, a major one that we used. Uh, last month, like being in a between a rock and a hard place. What else? There's a, yeah, there's a lot of pressure. The 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 competing Mars Saturn. I really mm-hmm. see as like this competing pressure between immediate things and long term things, and feeling like your time or your energy or your resources are really spread thin between what must be done today and what you're trying to plan for or provide for in the future. So there's there is this real pressure that can almost be visceral. It can make you. It can weigh you down in your body, um, so that you can feel older or more burdened. Okay, so that's yeah, the main um, theme at the beginning of the month. Yeah, well, and it it pretty much runs all month. Um, like they don't, it doesn't. It loosens a little bit and then tightens for other reasons. It's not really. We're not getting away from Mars Saturn. Mm-hmm. One thing I would add with Mars Saturn is that there's a pervade, and this connects to things like frustration and that that conflict between long term priorities and short term actions. Uh, but from a different angle, I would say that those configurations make it feel like there's not enough space, there's not enough time, there's like not enough room to move, right? Is that mm. pressure is like everything's cramped into a smaller space or time frame than um, it would naturally take up, right? Like, oh, you know, I need to do this if I could, if I just had more time, right? Or if I just had mm. less on my mind, if there was just less, you know, whatever. Um, and that the 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 lack of sufficient space time space is a consistent framework for all of those experiences. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah that's totally. a beautiful way of putting it. Um, so that's a major ongoing theme. It looks like the Mars Pluto square that you mentioned, Austin goes exact around October eighth, October ninth, uh, from twenty two Aries to twenty two Capricorn. Um, other than that, that starts getting us into the next week where really the main focus becomes in the second and third week becomes that Mercury retrograde. Um, so I know we've already talked about that a little bit, but just to return back to that discussion, Mercury first um, exactly opposes Uranus, it looks like on October 7th. So it's the first of two Mercury Uranus oppositions. But then um, instead of just like continuing on its merry way like it normally does, Mercury slows down immediately after that and then stations retrograde on the 13th and 14th at 11 degrees of Scorpio within about two degrees of an opposition with Uranus. So that means that it's going to prolong and basically hold like that one note of, if this is like a musical instrument, it's like holding that single note of Mercury opposing Uranus. So this can be things. What are what are some of our keywords for this, Kelly? Of Mercury opposite Uranus, it's like disruption in communication, um, unexpected um, news or reporting or developments. 
Yeah, I think there's a mix. Funnily enough, I have a soft spot for Mercury Uranus aspects, even the hard ones, because there's something about the mental breakthrough quality of like your mind just kind of blowing open and seeing something from a totally different perspective, which can be really invigorating. But of course, this isn't just a usual Mercury Uranus aspect because we're going to get two exact hits, but Mercury is very slow moving the entire time. So it might feel this like this constant sense of being bombarded with new or out of the box or unexpected, surprising or shocking information. And Mm -hmm. I do think it is going to create a level of logistical chaos or tumultuousness where you think you've got a plan and then something changes. So some of that classic Mercury retrograde stuff might seem like it's going on. You know, the first Mercury runner's opposition is exact on October 7. We have the station of Mercury retrograde on the 13th. And then we have the second Mercury runner's aspect later in the month uh, on the 19th. So there is this real sense of There'll be a level of some maybe excitement or that's interesting news, but there's also going to be some of that topsy-turvy shock factor with what's coming out, I think. Yeah, it looks like the 19th is the second Mercury-Uranus opposition at nine degrees of Scorpio to nine degrees of Taurus. Uh, Yeah. Austin, we were just coming up with like Mercury opposite Uranus keywords. Or what were you going to say, Kelly? Just the mercury Uranus oppositions, the two of them are at exactly the same degrees. So the first one is at nine Scorpio Taurus, and the second one is at nine Scorpio Taurus. So it's very much hitting that uh, that particular part of Scorpio Taurus. Okay. Yeah, so if you have anything at nine degrees of fixed signs, that could be a really important Mercury retrograde for you. Um, obviously, already you're getting hit by Uranus as a major long-term outer planet transit to begin with, but now having a Mercury retrograde station so close to those degrees could really highlight that at that time or act as like a trigger event. Yeah. Austin, you you had really focused on this a little bit. Was there anything you wanted to throw in? Uh, I don't know that I, I have um, the anything particularly uh, surprising to say to about say. it, right? You know, it's it's shocking communications. Does you know? Does there's the you just add disruption, shock, um, um, uh, disruption, shock, potentially innovative um, <laughs> uh, to any of the Mercury words. Like it's a disruption of delivery of communication of travel, a shocking message, uh, a disruptive communication. Um, and sometimes, you know, as, as I believe you mentioned, you know, these can uh, sometimes Mercury Uranus can be really good for getting you out of thinking about things the same way that you've been doing it that hasn't been working, um, taking like uh, an entirely different angle on an ongoing situation, you know, breaking up uh, old and stagnant thoughts. Um, and sometimes that's useful. Sometimes that's pleasant, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you're like, mm-hmm. "Oh, I've been doing it wrong the whole time." Yeah. And sometimes it's you know. Sometimes it's more gentle. Um, but yeah, it's it's, well, it's funny because um, this is surprise, a Mercury surprise. retrograde in 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 Scorpio, so we've got to like layer in. You know, how is Scorpio finding new things? It's like a an investigation or like a digging into something and an uncovering of something, um, even something that was hidden or something that was secret that suddenly. Um, causes a disruption when um, maybe it becomes exposed or something like that. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's Mars ruled, right? And we know yeah. what Mars is doing. So infuriating surprises. Mm, right. So one of the things I've been paying attention to um, this month, of course, and one of our themes this month is like October surprise. Um, but one of the things that's going to be ongoing, at least for in the US, of course, is the presidential debates, where there's going to be three presidential debates as well as a vice presidential debates. And I was looking to try to pay attention to whether any of these aligned with that. And um, the one that aligns with there's two things, two ways that it aligns, but one that it aligns with um, as far as our current discussion is it looks like October 7th is actually the single vice presidential debate. So that's the first exact opposition of Mercury Uranus. And I think that's the only date that this perfectly aligns with. So that's one of the ones where we would expect maybe some sort of surprise or some sort of unexpected disruption coming out of the VP debate with the first Mercury Uranus opposition being exact that same day. The only other one that's kind of close is October 15th, looks like it's the second presidential debate, assuming that that happens and that's kind of close to what the second, the other opposition, or October fifteen, yeah, yeah. Or the station. I guess it's kind of in between the two. In between the two. Um, the other debate that lines up interestingly with something is the very first presidential debate, which is on September twenty ninth, which is weirdly right on the Mars Saturn square and Saturn stationing direct. So a lot of those keywords about like tension and like conflict or like two. You know, extreme forces um, being in a combat combative pose uh, against each other. It's interesting how that lines up on the very first presidential debate between Biden and Trump. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. All right. So that's one of our main themes, and that's taking us through the first couple of weeks of the month. Um, next, I think we should talk about the second lunation of the month. Which is a new moon that takes place in Libra on the sixteenth. Yeah, well, and that so that that takes us into uh, a period of time where the sun is between an opposition to Mars, mm-hmm. which is very which is important because that is the dead center of the Mars retrograde. Um, and so we've got that a few days before, and then Mar- the sun moves on to square Pluto. And then square Saturn, and so that puts the the sun in a, a classically besieged position for you know most of a week. Yeah, yeah, that, that is that, pretty wild. It Go is ahead. intense. Yeah, the sun besiegement I think is about October thirteen to eighteen. We did have Mercury in this space. Uh, well, we will have Mercury. This is one of the reasons we're recording the show a little early. Mercury will be in that space for about 36 hours, September 23, 24. And the sun stays a little longer because Mars and Saturn just a little bit further. Um, it's apart. really interesting how um, on the 13th, the sun hits that opposition with Mars, which means that that's the halfway point through the Mars retrograde cycle. That's the dead center of the Mars retrograde at 21 Aries. And then simultaneously, Mercury stationing um, retrograde in Scorpio. So it's like we've got those two pivotal, um, you know, points in both of those cycles happening simultaneously on October thirteenth. And then, yeah, that does kind of open up a very weird stage for several days where the Sun is 
sort of in between the rays of Mars and Saturn, which is not a very happy place for it from it looks like October 13th all the way until it completes its square just after the new moon um, and then begins moving on after the 18th, 17th, mm. 18th. So the new moon in Libra kind of falls in that place and that adds a level mm -hmm. of complication and pressure to the new moon itself. And then the new moon ruler is Venus, which is itself in the middle of an opposition to Neptune. So this is not your usual new moon in Libra. And there is a little bit more that may be stirred up, you know, with the sun being um, besieged. And then you've got the confusion or the what's real, what's not with the lunation rule of Venus dealing with Neptune. Yeah. Look at this, this new moon at 23 degrees of Libra opposed by Mars and the, the sort of fiery tension and like anger and conflict of that, but then also closely square Pluto and some of the like issues with control and manipulation and also applying to the square with Saturn and those feelings of like restriction and um, duty and obligation, but also uh, limitation and maybe being held back to some extent. It's all packed into this new moon that sets the stage or lays the foundation for the next couple of weeks at least after that or really the next month yeah it's um you know it's a it's a it's a new moon trying to plant that new moon seed in between the trenches right i mean it's like trying to plant seeds in barren soil or you've thrown seeds on rocks kind of thing it's not the while most while you're being shot at while you're being shot at like you the, the seeds are falling out of your pockets while you're running from gunfire or something uh yeah it's so it's not the typical new moon that you might do you know exciting inspirational new moony things on i don't think well but you might um you know the there's uh, you can set as as an intention um you know protecting things like keeping things from being That's damaged a, yeah. right it may, it may not be a good time That's to to like to grow new good things, but um, you know, getting your head straight on how you're going to not or you're going to minimize uh, the damage which is running around the world uh, during this period of time is worth your time, right? Um, minim yeah. uh, removing a negative and adding a positive are both net positives. Yes. So the keywords that came to my mind, Austin, as you were saying, that was pruning preservation and protection. So the idea of rather than trying to like start a lot of new things, what do I need to protect that's already around me? And what maybe do I need to uh, like stop or limit or curb in some way if we think about um, what restrictions Saturn might be productive for? Um, and that brings up, so the ruler of the new moon is Venus, and it's one of the few planets that's kind of swooping in to help out a few times this month, or at least attempting to, as it travels through Virgo and is like one of the only planets that's not getting caught up in all of this weird either cardinal so stuff that's very tense in between Libra and Capricorn and Aries, or isn't getting caught up in, in a harsh way in the Mercury-Uranus opposition, but instead it, um, for example, on the 12th, Venus sextiles Mercury and trines Uranus, or later in the month on looks like the 19th, the 18th, and 19th, Venus is making a very nice trine with Jupiter, which is one of the few kind of positive aspects to look forward to this month. Although 
Unfortunately, it's not a completely clean, nice aspect because it's opposing Uranus at 18 degrees of Pisces almost simultaneously, which is kind of um, making things a little bit less clear, a little bit more nebulous, a little bit more tricky than I might like with the Venus-Jupiter trine. Um, but it's one of the few offsetting sort of positive factors I feel like this month. The yeah, the Venus Jupiter is definitely like it's there. It's not the most lush Venus Jupiter trine, but it's still it's still part of the piece. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So Venus going through Virgo this month, and it's pretty much spending the entire month there until the twenty seventh. But that is one of our transits. If anybody has any personal things um, in Virgo that could be receiving positive conjunctions from that. All right. Um, so aside from the new moon in Libra on the 16th, um, after that we pretty much start rapidly getting into the final phases of the month, and we get the ingress of the sun, which moves from Scorpio to Libra on the 20s, or moves from Libra to Scorpio on the 22nd. Um, yes. Scorpio season begins. Scorpio season begins. Uh, shortly after that, we get the halfway point in the Mercury retrograde cycle when Mercury conjoins the Sun. It looks like on October 25th, so Sun-Mercury conjunction at two degrees of Scorpio. And then just a couple of days later, we get this interesting shift um, that happens simultaneously when both Mercury retrogrades back into Libra, and then right at the same time on the same day, Venus ingresses into Libra. So there's this sudden like shift on the same day, on the 27th of October, of both of those inner planets suddenly emphasizing the same sign from either mm -hmm. end of it, and suddenly we've. That's get, really interesting. Yeah, like that's going to be a shift. There's some sort of shift occurring right there on that day, because then by moving into that sign, of course, we then get both inner planets that previously weren't now suddenly start um, emphasizing and highlighting again one of the other cardinal signs. Which are the major signs in this part of the year that are getting um, all of those tense aspects between all of the squares between Capricorn and Aries? Yeah, it's quite striking. I mean, it's always interesting when you see personal planets both decide to jump into the same sign at the same time. And then with Mercury being retrograde, it's a big dignity change for Venus. And normally we'd be super celebratory about that. But given the other planets that she's now going to form more dynamic aspects with, it's definitely a tempered Venus in Libra for 2020. Yeah. And, and yeah, of course, and uh, go ahead, Chris. I was just going to say, of course, what this entire Mercury retrograde is leading up to, which we mentioned previously, but we should reiterate here because it becomes very quickly more relevant, is it's stationing. Direct at 25 degrees of Libra on November 3rd and November 4th, which just happens to line up exactly with Election Day in the US. So we've got an entire Mercury retrograde buildup, which suddenly stations direct on Election Day. Well, and how interesting is it that we have a shocking number of planets in cardinal signs? Right? Like we have literally every visible planet other than the Sun. Um, and the moon uh, in cardinal signs for a while there, right? Yeah. Um, and if we're talking about like momentous events, right? And you know, cardinal signs are supposed to create new situations, not you know, not inherently towards the positive or the negative. Um, but you know, I think we can all agree that um, 
you know, where <laughs> what happens in the fourth quarter of 2020 is going to set us up for a lot of what we're going to be doing for a while. Um, and so it's just interesting to see a huge preponderance of cardinal signs there or of planets and cardinal signs, right? We have Saturn, Jupiter, Pluto, Mars, Venus, Mercury in cardinal for a while. And then the moon, you know, one third of the time. Yeah, we, even the moon later on election day actually moves into a cardinal sign. Speaking of, as it goes into Cancer. Yes. <laughs> Very nice. So, and and of course, we talked about on the forecast last month about how the last time in the U.S. Um, there was a Mercury retrograde station, direct station on election day was of course twenty years ago in the two thousand election where there was a hung election and the result wasn't finally decided until many weeks later, and the question of whether we're going to be in a similar situation with this upcoming election. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a given at this point. I was thinking about it um, yesterday, earlier today, um, and I was like, you know, the the impressive prediction at, the, uh, at, at this point would be figuring out when that's resolved, right? When there's a clear right. result. Yeah. Right. Like, you know, that that that's almost... That's almost harder than picking the president, uh, than picking who wins, because that's literally a coin flip, right? Like you could accidentally be right about that, but it would be more challenging and perhaps more impressive to, to figure out when that coin stops balancing on its edge and then falls heads or tails, right? Because it's like, well, does it take until, you know, the, it does Mars Direct do that? No, I don't right. think so. Right, Mars Direct. The thing about and one thing well, to and know, let's state the date on that. So that's too far ahead. Mars. The third. It's Friday the thirteenth of of November. Um, so let's state that as a candidate, though, because I think we all agree that could be a candidate. Even if you're saying no, you don't think that's the final one. Let's just throw that. I out think that's there. when the war. I think that's when the war really starts. I think that's actually okay. Mars stations. Direct stations. The direct station of Mars is not a cessation of conflict. Um, it is a change in the direction of conflict in a more direct, forward-moving direction. Um, so I would say there's no way that that's uh, that that doesn't say accord. I, I don't. I don't. I that's. I, I don't think there's any chance of that. And then we look okay. to I just the eclipses say could, that come later. Go ahead. Say it, it could be. Let's just like put together a list of major turning points as potential important turning points for whatever the hell happens on election day. So we have election day itself, which is like Mars stationing direct or Mercury stationing direct. Um, we have Mars stationing direct the following week on the 13th, and that seems like a very important turning point that could be tied in with everything. Yeah, I think it will be tied in. I think it'll be, um, again, I think it'll be an intensification of the dispute around the election results. And then we have the pair of eclipses, which follow that in November. We have the um, we have the full moon, the lunar eclipse, um, at the end of November, which, as we noted uh, in the year ahead, happens to take place with the sun and moon both uh, tightly conjunct royal stars, mm -hmm. and so seemed even then to ha absolutely have something to do with the election. And then we've got a solar. Um, uh, two weeks later, and on the fourteenth of uh, December, and then right after that, Jupiter and Saturn um, both uh, ingress into Aquarius. It might take us. It might. It might take into the. It might take the Jupiter Saturn conjunction uh, to actually 
land, whatever the results are. Mm, yeah, I mean, I we were trying to plan like when our f- upcoming forecasts were, and we had to look back at 2000 and realize it took like six weeks. It wasn't until the middle of December that the 2000 election was finally settled by the Supreme Court, and that does put us in Jupiter-Saturn territory where um, Jupiter moves into Saturn moves into Aquarius on the 17th, and Jupiter moves into Aquarius on the 19th, and then they both conjoin right after that on the 21st. Um, I'm not sure if it will take that long again this time. I mean, I hope not, uh, but definitely those are good markers to pay attention to. Yeah, I think those so are does, the, those are the markers that does bring us to the Jupiter Saturn conjunction, though, because that's something I've been really thinking about a lot and reflecting on, and maybe revising some of my previous um, feelings just in light of everything that's going on. Where. I know in the year ahead forecast that we recorded last November and released in December of 2019 for the entire next year of 2020, we saw all of this really tense, all these really tense aspects coming up. And we saw like the pileup of planets that was going to be occurring in March and the Mars Saturn conjunction in March and April and how that looked really tough. And we've seen how that worked out. Then we were not looking forward to the Mars retrograde in Aries, which was squaring all those same Capricorn planets over the fall that we're still in the first third of now. Um, and the Jupiter Saturn conjunction was one thing that we often ended up kind of trying to frame as like something more positive to look forward to at the end of the year. And um, we could all see that it's going to be a major shift, and like every astrologer in the world knows that that's a huge shift. At the very least, because it's a very it's a somewhat rare conjunction that only happens every 20 years between Jupiter and Saturn itself. But then more significantly, it's also Jupiter and Saturn switching into a new uh, triplicity where they're going to start conjoining in air signs now for the next 200 something years, whereas they'd been conjoining in Earth signs for the past 200 years. So we can see it being a, a century defining shift in that way as well. And while there, I still think there's many things to be optimistic about, I'm also a little bit more worried about that being a significant shift that doesn't necessarily have to be positive for everybody. Um, and it's made me start rethinking that in terms of like how much optimism we should attribute to that versus if we should be a little bit more cautious about, you know, saying that this is definitely going to be a great shift um, necessarily. Yeah, well, I think there's a lot to say about that. Um, so I'll start with one one piece. So the in uh, in his works, the what are they? What are they? Ben Ben Dykes translated a bunch of old stuff, as we all know, and he put together uh, two volumes of mundane material, maybe five years ago, and in one of those. Um, he uncovered something really interesting about the way that Jupiter-Saturn conjunctions were treated. Um, and that was that in addition to the sign of their visible, where they conjoin visibly in the sky, um, the astrologers who were using these techniques also looked at their mean conjunction, which is a mathematically idealized conjunction. And what's interesting about the mean conjunctions is that they're perfectly regular. So you just have that 200 years and then elemental switch and 200 years and then elemental switch. Whereas the visible conjunctions are a little eccentric. Um, 
And I was really interested in this. And so several years ago, I was like, oh, which is the right one? And there was some question, right? Because according to the mean conjunction uh, uh, version of, of Jupiter-Saturn, we moved into the age of error in 2000. And if we look at how digitized um, things have become since then and how how much the air element um, has uh, be, in many ways become the dominant element that makes a lot of sense, but the visible conjunction was in Taurus. And so what's interesting about this Jupiter Saturn in 2020 is that um, it brings both of the, the two different measurements into alignment. There's no disagreement between the abstract mathematical and the apparent. And so I've been looking at the periods of time where the where those two cycles are in disagreement, and then when they're in agreement um, as sort of uh, periods, uh, interstitial periods. And sometimes those interstitial periods will run for sixty years. In in our case, we entered that halfway. You know, in one uh, we entered um, a divergence where it looks like air from one perspective and earth from another perspective in 1981. And so we've been in an in-between uh, in between earth and air since then, but with our, our conjunction at the end of this year, both are in agreement. And so this is sort of like, um, you know, it, it makes me think of the William Gibson quote um, from, I don't know, 20 years ago, which he said that the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. Right. Whereas now, <laughs> um, now heading into the 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 end of 2020, here's the future. Like everybody can see what we're going into, or at least what the conflicts will be. Um, and there are there, there's a bunch of other stuff, but that's part of. It's not just a Jupiter Saturn. It's um you know it it is an agreement that like we are actually totally here from multiple perspectives, and that's absolutely what it feels like, right? Like nobody can um nobody can dispute <laughs> that um that we are here, and it's is it it might be one dystopia and it might be another, um but we're you know we're in the future. We're in the we're in the science fiction novels that were written in the early '80s, you know, about the the cyberpunk dystopias. Anyway, I'll end my rant. Um, but there's a lot more. There's another two hours of stuff to say about this between all of us. I just wanted to start with that. We're we're here now, or we're almost there. And no, it's not an improvement because the Jupiter Saturn cycle is not vertical. It's not about uh, ascending and things improving. Like they're elements. They're cyclical. Right, mm -hmm. air is not superior to Earth. They have different qualities. They just do different things. They represent different experiences and different ways of living, different ways of governing, all of those types of things. Yeah, well, and, and some things rise and other things fall during the different periods. And we're definitely in a period where there's about to be a major shift. But that's what started making me nervous. Is I decided to go back, especially just because of some of the discussions and some of the disruptions and the interruptions and sometimes like tampering with the entire democratic process that's already occurring in this election started making me nervous seeing that big shift come up and previously um treating it more optimistically i started thinking back to 2016 and hoping i myself wasn't having a blind spot about being overly optimistic about um that conjunction coming up and knowing that there was about to be a major shift that would have worldwide 
implications. Um, so one of the things I was doing was going back and looking at previous shifts and previous conjunctions. And one of the ones that started making me more nervous was um, seeing what happened um, around the time when the Roman Empire went from a democracy to something that was um, led by a specific emperor. It was basically when the age of the emperors began. And that happened, according to mo most historians, around 27 BCE when Octavian became the ruler of Rome, basically, and the Senate granted him overarching power and gave him the title of Augustus. And the thing that I thought was kind of startling that I noticed about that is um, right around that time in 26 BCE, there was also a Jupiter Saturn conjunction that occurred in the opposite sign from the one we're going through now at two degrees of Leo. And it was also closely conjunct a conjunction with Pluto, which was at the end of the previous cardinal sign in Cancer. So I thought that was a little weird because that's almost like the exact, not opposite, it's a very similar thing that we're going through now with a triple conjunction of Jupiter, Saturn, and Pluto just taking place in the opposite signs of Aquarius and Capricorn. Um, and that will go exact, of course, later this year in December. Um, so I wanted to state that as a thing to sort of like encourage people, let's say, to not be complacent um, and not assume you know things will go one way or another, but perhaps to try to be active, especially if you are political in the political process and perhaps encouraging everybody to get out and vote because it could make a difference in this instance, you know, whatever whoever it is that you're voting for. Yeah, what do you think about? Find. Yeah, I hope not, but it could be. Uh, we'll see. Um, what are you thinking? Have you had any renewed thoughts about the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, Kelly? Uh, I mean, one of the things that's been playing in my mind is the fact that it's such a large cycle that's changing. You know, we've got loosely speaking, the end of a 20-year cycle and the end of the longer, you know, Jupiter-Saturn um, Earth elemental cycle, which is sort of 150 years plus. And it's been seeing how much tumultuous stuff has gone on this year, of course, combined with Saturn-Pluto. We do get Saturn-Pluto every 40 years, every 38 years, I think, Saturn-Pluto make a conjunction, which is important. But to have a number like a 38-year cycle, a 20-year cycle, and a 150-year-plus cycle all reset at the same time or in the same 12-month period, that to me is quite striking. And whichever way you're coming at it, there's a huge amount that is energetically, if you want to use that word, being recalibrated. And this is kind of a macro version of what we do with client transits. When things are massively updated at a cycles level or at you know a tonal level in terms of planetary interchange, there is a lot of transition and upheaval as things in on Earth or in day-to-day -day life adjust to this new influence. And I think we are seeing that in, you know, incredibly extreme ways. Maybe we underestimated how extreme, you know, everyone here recalibrating to that tonal shift would be or that elemental change would be. Um, it seems like, okay, this is par for the course. And when, to your point, Austin, we were talking about, uh, you know, Earth versus air, Earth is quite stable and air is movable and mobile. So the parts of us as humans that like stability and consistency and reliability, even if we didn't like the environment, we could rely on it to be similar tomorrow. And, and you may or may not have liked that. Uh, 
going into air, we know there's going to be things that are much more variable, things that are much more in flux. And that certainty is maybe less likely, or we have to work a little harder to find it. And as humans, the way our psyche and our psychology works, we gravitate towards certainty. It gives us comfort. It tones down our anxiety. And so I think maybe all of us just getting that deeper understanding of, you know, what is air and how is it different to earth can help uh, maybe express or explain uh, what we're all navigating right now. Yeah. So major, you know, an example of an example of uh, earth to air uh, that occurred to me as you were talking, Kelly, Mm. with earth, like something steady that you don't like versus, um, you know, an unsteadiness that you don't like. Um, It makes me think um, uh, what what popped into my head was the sort of uh, the type of office work which um, was satirized in office space, right? That Mike Judge movie from 20 some years ago, whereas people just going insane doing or, you know, uh, feeling driven insane doing, um, you know, low level paperwork and just like endless busy work, but it was steady. You know, there was, Mm. there wasn't much advancement. It was pretty soulless, et cetera, et cetera. We can compare that to like the hustle of gig work, like you're, you know, you're driving Uber or whatever, or you're, you know, you you could literally mm. be doing the same sort of clerical um, data processing stuff, but like on a gig basis and you're not stuck, right? That That's the earth part. Like, congratulations. You're not, you're not stuck at that desk for 20 years, but then the negative part is like, oh, I don't have that, um, <laughs> that thing that I hated to rely on. Right. Where there's, you know, there's benefit here, there's negative there. Um, But, you know, you have a lot of positions that are going to pay pretty similarly. You know, it's not like uh, most of those office jobs in the 90s were fun or good um, (laughs) or brought, uh, gave you a future, but they were, there was like that future was there. Right. Um, And so, speaking of the, the, you know, uh, when we talked about this earlier, I thought the best possible reframe mm. on like how is the Saturn Jupiter conjunction positive but not positive and I had this metaphor that I've been working with that was um uh comically negative um that Kelly you had a much better version of so I'll give my comically negative version one and my, my well, I think mine is only um, it this. only seems better relative to yours it wasn't happy <laughs> In an absolute right, that's blame. why we're leading yeah. with mine, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so mine was, um, okay, so for a lot of 2020, we're on a plane that's on fire and is about to crash, um, and there's not a lot to do. You know, you can run around screaming, you can argue with each other, you can do whatever, um, but the plane's going to crash. And that the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, we actually crash some people, you know, uh, uh, many people survive. We can see where we crashed, start setting up camp, start triaging people. At least there's more that you can do once the planes actually crash than when it's just like heading downwards and, you know, everybody's doing the roller coaster thing. You had a much better version of this, Kelly. <laughs> I mean, it's still a disaster analogy, but it's the idea that, you know, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction, if you like, it's like, okay, the hurricane is done now. You know, the the, the gale force winds have 
gone away, the torrential rain and hail, it's not falling anymore. And you finally get to go outside. Now, there's a huge amount of cleanup and repair and recovery that is going to be needed, but at least the hurricane is not you know, going, you know, it's not turning the everything upside down around you. So that they were the best uh, analogies we had. Well, and I like that one a lot better for a variety of reasons. It's not quite as, I don't know, you know, hilariously uh, negative, but um, I also like it because it's an air metaphor. Yes. Right? Um, you know, it, hurricanes bring water, but it's the, it's the wind um, yeah. that rips things up. And, well, you and can also start in a, in a like, hurricane, like not everybody gets hit. It's like you have oh, yes. na- neighborhoods that get wiped out, but then you have like that one mm-hmm. structure that just like doesn't have hardly a scratch on it in your neighborhood that didn't that the the storm passed by for some you know random reason. And and that's kind of this year where it's like you you do have large communities of people running into major issues or being decimated. And then occasionally you do have people that are still thriving and still surviving despite the chaos. Yeah. Um, uh, or yeah, uh, or even because of the chaos. Um, and if we want to stick with air element disasters, tornadoes are even more mm. finicky in terms, you know, if you ever see the um, uh, like the path of a, a tornado through a town, it's literally just like a line of destruction and like one house is flattened and then, th- you know, 20 feet away, another house has like a broken window. Um, and that's, that's, that's very air like air. And this is something I've just been thinking about more and more and seeing more and more air is super patchwork. It's not mm. like evenly distributed. Like earth is a very even like even structural sort of distribution yeah whereas air is very random like air is like you know roll the dice um yes here no there kind of here etc cetera, etc cetera. and i think that our you know our, our future that we're looking into is very patchwork that whole like the future not being evenly distributed um i think is more insightful than uh william gibson even meant um like it's gonna it doesn't it, there's not one picture i've been having all these various like dystopias competing in my head um you know on on one level we have like the the dystopia of too much order right where which is the surveillance future and then we have the 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 dystopia of not enough order where we have like the mad max future Right. <laughs> Where there's just like no, there's no, and, and I think we'll get um, both of those and neither in lots of places. I don't think it's, I don't think one of these pictures is the answer. And I think that's, that's the, that's air, right? It's not, it's the tornado, right? It's not consistently applied. And even Australia is just this micro example of that right now, where one part of Australia, Victoria, one of the states in Australia, has been on extreme stage four lockdown for about six weeks, and they've just had it extended to late October. Whereas other parts of Australia, uh, people are just, you know, going about life in more of a regular fashion. And it's that idea of the patchwork, like, you know, in the US, we've got part of the country's burning, part of the country did actually have a hurricane. And there are parts of the country where there's a little bit of a sort of a regularity kind of going on. So it's, that's a really great way of describing it, like, Austin, the patchwork and the idea that it's not consistently applied. 
Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, a crazy quilt. I think they call it. A crazy you, quilt. You stitch a bunch of uh, stitch a bunch of like patches together that don't necessarily form one big picture. Yeah. So so but that's the back to the hurricane. Out. Zoomed up big picture yeah, it, version because it's hard not to situate this stuff within the broader context of the larger cycles that are coming to completion later this year. Um, yeah, I mean, this this whole year has been carrying us to that whatever that picture is yes. or set of pictures, set of clashing pictures. Um, and I just want to say one more positive thing about the hurricane analogy um, or the tornado analogy is like you can go outside and like take a look at the damage and be like, all right, well, I'm going to need to replace that window. You can like start figuring out you you mm. can't do repairs in the middle of a storm. Correct. Right? Yeah. Whereas you can start doing repairs and setting things. Be like, well, I guess, I guess we have hurricanes now. I can then begin to think about, you know, uh, I don't know if you can hurricane proof, but you can certain, well, there are hurricane windows. You can be like, I'm going to get different windows for uh the next time or i'm you know you can begin to adapt yeah so and the hurricanes in this analogy are largely occurring in the cardinal signs this year and wherever the cardinal signs fall in your chart especially aries and capricorn um and then the new shift in the foundation in december uh with the jupiter saturn conjunction will take place in aquarius but to take us back to October, there's one final thing yes. <laughs> we have to discuss uh, towards the end of the month, which is the month ends and culminates with a full moon in Taurus conjunct Uranus on the 31st of October, right on Halloween. Yes. Yeah. So we actually have a full moon, which is like a culmination of events or a bringing to light and sort of shining a spotlight on a specific. Sign of the zodiac, which is Taurus in this instance, um, but for some reason it's almost exactly within what is that like five minutes of arc mm -hmm. uh, conjunct Uranus at eight degrees of Taurus. So it's like shining a spotlight and bringing to culmination, but also something that is unexpected or disruptive or innovative um, in some way uh, simultaneously about that. So it's a continuation of our October surprise, and it basically culminates on Halloween, which is like peak yeah. surprise with a full moon conjunct Uranus. Yeah, yeah. Right, right before the election. Yeah, so that is why uh, October surprise was our um, theme this month, or one of our themes, just because it's not just the Mercury retrograde that's bouncing back and forth between uh, Taurus and Scorpio, and that opposition between Mercury and Uranus, but it's also this. Full moon that we end the month with, um, conjunct Uranus as well. Yeah. Because so, back in the olden days, before, I'm not even talking pre COVID, I'm talking before Uranus went into Taurus, we used to get really excited about a full moon in Taurus. Yeah. Because the moon's supposed to be exalted there and it's an earth sign. It's supposed to be a little bit more stable, a little bit more grounded. But with Uranus there, it's almost the opposite. There's something destabilizing about it. There's some sort of contrary energy that's throwing that off, sort of in the way that we've been dealing with like when we have planets going through Virgo and things are supposed to be very meticulous and very clear, especially Mercury and its ability to communicate in Virgo. Um, but when it's going through the middle degrees of Virgo at this point, it opposes Neptune and you almost are getting the opposite quality of a lack of clarity. Um, at this time, there's sort of a similar vibe here uh, with Uranus and Taurus. 
Yeah. Yeah, it feels well, and like uh, I, I would in you go, Austin. What you may get in a way that fulfills the stabilizing um you know, significations of the moon and Taurus is on a personal level, not on a collective level this year, right? This will just be like more more shocking turns of events in the news. Um, and probably, you know, I imagine the earth will probably do some destabilization around that time as well. But on a personal level, um, what I've seen with Uranus and Taurus is sometimes it's like a totally new approach to stabilizing things. Be like, oh, I need to really change things up in order to keep them stable, right? Like, oh, I need right. an entirely mm. new set of shock absorbers <clears throat> so my car doesn't bounce like crazy, right? Life car in this case. <laughs> um, and so that that is, you know, sometimes even Uranus is um, destabilizing, volatilizing, um, catalyzing uh, action can lead to stability. Um, or you know a more capacious stability, but um, through through contrary action, through destabilization, or through shock. Yeah, I love that. So see- seeking greater stability through making radical changes, and I've seen that with especially like some of my Taurus rising friends um, upending and relocating. I've seen a couple of them just decide to completely relocate and move to a different part of the country to just change. The entirety of their scenery, and it was a very destabilizing. But then, eventually, once they settled down, very stabilizing as well. Having that new environment. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, or go ahead, Kelly. I was just going to say one thing that I, it is good to keep in mind, and what you are both saying is reminding me of this: is that with Uranus, the process of change can be very tumultuous, and there can be a lot of upheaval and destabilization. But I always think about Uranus as change that leads to new freedom. And so the change or the upheaval that Uranus can stir or stimulate usually has an outcome that is worth getting to. Uh, Not always, but there is this sense of on the other side of that, there can be, to your point, Austin, whether it's new stability, new comfort, a sense of being more anchored in place in some way. So it's not to take away from the intensity of the chaotic experience or the process but it is taking you somewhere different. And again, as humans, we often initially resist the idea of change because we tend to, you know, hold on just sort of as a bit of an unconscious default. But when you are frustrated with things in your life or they're not going the way you want them to, sometimes that big change is what you need to jumpstart or to jolt this kind of whole new chapter or a whole new set of experiences. Yeah, definitely. Um so that'll be important for people to pay attention to what part of the chart and especially what house that full moon falls in in your chart at eight degrees of Taurus. And think about that, especially in that area of your life as being the potential um, area or zone where some of those changes and disruptions could take place. All right. So um, in light of all of that, and in light of our theme of October surprises, one of the more challenging things this month uh, that I ran into when Lisa Scheim and I tried to settle on a auspicious electional chart this month was just where to try to do anything this month that's going to have lasting stability and significance. And that was a more challenging question than it sounded at first when we first started working on it. So I have two possible charts um, to highlight for the auspicious election this month. We can only give away one of them, and I wanted to pose it as a 
mental question and challenge to the two of you uh, to let us know where to where to go with this. One of the charts is at the beginning of the month, and one of the charts is more towards the end of the month. If you had to start something new this month, if you had to initiate a significant action or found something new using electional astrology, would you try to do that earlier in the month, for example, before the Mercury retrograde gets fully started and Mercury starts moving backwards, or would you do it later in the month when um, the Mercury retrograde is already in full effect, but the Mars squares, like Mars-Saturn especially, um, are separating and Mars-Jupiter are separating rather than applying? Austin, you're grimacing, so I don't. I take it you do not. Uh, that's not a fun decision to make. It's like choosing between like no, that's, shield, that's, okay. that's, Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, it would really, I, I think that's um, the answer to that. Would almost entirely depend on excruciatingly granular analysis. Yeah. Be like, what little moment can I find between some of the big shapes? Because the big shapes aren't particularly pleasing um, either at the beginning or at the end. Right. So I, I would say it depends on that, you know, that moment. I'm like, yeah, because you're really asking us a tough choice here, Chris. Uh, I'm like, did, did you give moon sign details or is that one of the not to be given away yet? No, I'll, I'll give it that much. So let's say okay. um, one of them is moon in Taurus early in the month, so trining Jupiter, and the other one is moon in Pisces, sextiling Jupiter. So both of them were focusing on okay. positive flowing aspects between the moon and Jupiter um, but the real tension is like pre pre Mercury retrograde, or um, after Mars is already separating from some of those hard aspects. And I should pull that up again, that artwork from Archetypal Explorer, because it really emphasizes exactly when that's happening and how we're heading into it in the first half of the month. But it takes a little while before we before we get out of it. So here's the. Archetypal Explorer thing from archetypalexplorer.com. Uh, shout out and thanks to Kyle. So we get the Mars Saturn square at the end of September, then Mars square Pluto, second week of October almost, and then like third week of October, Mars square Jupiter. And we forget to mention that, but remember the first, this is the second of three Mars square Jupiter transits that will go exact this year due to the Mars retrograde. And the first Mars square Jupiter, of course, um, coincided with um, the explosion that occurred in Beirut. Uh, Lebanon that was right around when that went exact. So um, that's one of the electional questions: is do you want that Mars square Jupiter still applying if you go with early in October, or do you want it separating by the time you get to the later October? Look, that's a tough call, and it is hard to say without looking at the chart. But the Moon sign differential. Yeah. Look, all other things being equal, and I know they're not. I would probably err for the moon in Taurus. And, you know, it's going to slightly depend on the degree. I get it. But I, what I'm thinking about here is at least then you have a planet with some essential dignity. Yeah. And, you know, the moon in Pisces, look, I love a good moon in Pisces. We all know that. But, you know, when you're looking at an electional chart where literally nothing else has got dignity, you've got, you know, some debilitated planets that could use a boost. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean that would be a factor that I would be really tossing up over. 
Sure. Yeah, Austin. I'm. Um, I I'll, I'll go Moon and Taurus as well. Okay. Okay. Moon and Taurus. That's it. So we'll go with that. That means our featured electional chart for this month <laughs> is going to take place on October fourth, twenty twenty. Right at the beginning of October, before the Mercury retrograde really gets going the following week. So set your electional chart for October 4th around 4.55 PM and set the ascendant for somewhere in early Pisces in your location. And actually, on YouTube, I did a video where I finally put out a free video for how to adapt these electional charts to your location. So if anybody wants to Understand this better, like how to um, take this chart and adapt it to whatever city you live in. Go check out our YouTube channel for the Astrology Podcast, and you'll see a more detailed tutorial about that. But basically, just take the date, set it for that time, and then adjust the chart for your city until the ascendant is at about one degree of Pisces, and then you'll get this electional chart. So the so electional chart. I like our choice for a couple of reasons. It looks yeah, good. <laughs> I mean, it's not a bad. It's not a bad chart. I mean, it has some really good. Decent things going for it, you know. All things in taken into consideration. Look, given it's October twenty twenty and not a random month in any other year, right? Uh, yeah, because I know the Mars square Jupiter is there, but Jupiter is going to get aspected by the Moon first, and mm -hmm. then by the Sun before Mars gets to it. So, not that the Sun is necessarily a huge help, but there's just some other factors that Jupiter has uh, rather than it's than just the Mars. Yeah. So, so this chart for those listening to the audio version, it has Pisces rising, and the ruler of the ascendant is Jupiter at 18 degrees of Capricorn in the 11th whole sign house. It's a day chart, so Jupiter is the most benefic planet in the chart, even though it's not in like super great condition, dignity wise, being in Capricorn. Um, but the Moon is exalted in Taurus in the third whole sign house, around 15 degrees of the sign, depending on what city you're located in using this chart. And the moon is applying to a trine with Jupiter. So we got a happy, happy trine with Jupiter uh, between the moon and Jupiter. And then also, as Kelly pointed out, the sun early in the month is still applying from Libra to the square with Jupiter, which is also a positive thing. So the downside of this chart, or the other positive side, is that Mercury has not yet stationed retrograde. Um, it is applying within two degrees to an opposition with Uranus. So Mercury is at seven Scorpio and it's applying to Uranus at nine Taurus. So that Mercury Uranus energy is still there. There's really no way to avoid that this month. It's going to be there off and on most of the month, um, but it's certainly very prominent in this chart, despite Mercury having not stationed retrograde yet. Um, the downside with this chart, the thing you'd probably want to avoid is it has Mars in the second house in a day chart, which is probably not very great for financial matters as like a primary consideration. Um, it does have an applying Mars-Jupiter square, which is the major downside since Jupiter is the ruler of the ascendant, and that is one of the major drawbacks. You can avoid that if you use a similar Pisces rising chart later in the month, but then you uh, run into a host of other issues. Um, the other positive thing about the chart is as Venus in the seventh house, angular, uh, very close to the descendant. So yeah, what do you guys think? What would you use this chart for? It's kind of Tricky um, because we're setting this up as like a general purpose chart where you're, you're using a date when the moon is applying to a trine with Jupiter, and that's generally going to be auspicious if you've got to do something in general. Um, but I don't know if there's anything in particular you guys would use this chart for. Um, you know, normally I would say like friends because the ruler of the ascendant is in the 11th house or alliances or groups or things like that. 
It's a little tricky with the Mars-Jupiter square, but you could still probably use it for those reasons if, you, if done carefully. Yeah, the 11th house stands out, and the other house that stands out for me is the third, where the moon is placed. So some kind of third house, 11th house combo, which, you know, there are some, you know, the the third house has a little bit of a friendship kind of undertone to it. Maybe there's a communication, learning group thing. Uh, so something where you could maybe bring the 11th and the third topics together, maybe you're doing something with a sibling, uh, maybe they're going to pay for you because you don't have any money or something. I'm not sure, but yeah, something <laughs> 11th house, third house. way to bum some money <laughs> off your, uh, off your sibling. Off your sibling. That's good. <laughs> it, well, the, the, the sun is in the eighth house. So if you want to, you know, try to borrow money from your, <laughs> from your brother or sister or whoever, <laughs> Yeah, I like that. So that is the electional chart that we're highlighting for this month. Uh, Lisa Scheim and I have found three other electional charts that we're going to talk about on the Auspicious Elections podcast, which is a monthly podcast we do just for patrons of the Astrology Podcast who sign up on the $5 tier. So you can find out more information about that if you go to, uh, I believe, our page on Patreon at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. And we'll probably release that episode in the next week or so before the end of the month. All right, so, so that is the election for the mooching off the sibs. Yeah, I that's mean, our election. I chart. know it, the, the mooching, but it is the Lord of the Ascendant is in the eleventh, boosted by the Moon in Taurus. Like you, there is this tone of like a little bit of a benefit or a windfall, or you know somebody helps you kind of thing, whether it's financially or otherwise. No. I that I had the same thought, Kelly. It's just like leaning into the moon. Yeah, the moon is better off than anybody right. else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the moon is also the ruler of the fifth, so it could be something connected to children or creative creativity. Let's say creative expression that's being communicated through the third house and success in doing that because it's applying to a trine with Jupiter, borrowing so, money from your children. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Or those spending money on your children, which is the other thing that often happens. <laughs> those sound like funny like elections that you would find in the in the Picatrix, like really obscure elections. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So that is our electional chart for October. And that's also pretty much the forecast for October, I believe. Are there any mm -hmm. other final thoughts or final statements? Anything that we completely forgot to mention? Let us know in the audience if we completely forgot anything for the October forecast as we're wrapping up this section of the episode. I think we, we hit all the big uh, astro data. You guys talked about Jupiter and Saturn. So Yeah, talked about Jupiter and Saturn, talked about the Mars retrograde, talked about the October surprise, the Mercury retrograde opposite Uranus, the full moon conjunct Uranus. Uh, we've got a ton of stuff going on next month, basically, and it was hard to... We were, I'm glad we had a strategy meeting to like try to figure out how to pack this all in, but I think we did a pretty good job uh, uh, covering or giving an overview of it. I mean, it's it's always challenging because the three of us together, well, even each of us individually could probably talk for three hours about, you know, detailed look at the month ahead. So we do kind of get the highlights and, and let you know what to expect. So hopefully it just helps you navigate it. That's, yeah. that's what astrology is good for, knowing when to bring the umbrella. Definitely. Um, all right, so um, we should transition into the second half of this episode then, which is talking about 
um, miscellaneous topics. Uh, the first thing that we should probably do is I wanted to uh, mention our sponsor this month, which is the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanac, which is rolling out uh, version 2.1 of their almanac this month, where they've got the final version of their um, Hellenistic plugin, which we talked about a few months ago and I think showed off a little bit, as well as a few other features. Uh, you guys still have your almanacs from Honeycomb that you got last year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Super fun. Yeah. Do all the so hard work for you. Each almanac is a custom-made planner and ephemeris, and it has transit data that is uniquely um, adapted and customized to your own birth chart, uh, which you can get either as a print version or a digital version at honeycomb.co. Uh, so they're finalizing and doing the official release this month of their Hellenistic plugin, which includes zodiac releasing periods, which they're including now for all seven Hermetic lots. So not just spirit, fortune, and eros, but also victory, nemesis, courage, and all of those other fun, fun lots. I know those are some of your favorites, Austin, nemesis, and courage. Silence for I me. Mean, what, okay. what, what is life but the tension between nemesis and courage? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're rolling that out, which I'm really probably most excited about. But they're also rolling out a new asteroids plugin where you can get customized transit reports that tell you on a daily basis what transits you have involving the uh, major asteroids, such as Ceres, Vesta, Juno, Pallas, and Chiron. So that's a pretty cool feature, and it's not something you can normally get in most planners to have actual um, personalized asteroid transits for each day, telling you what degree and what time those transits go exact. And there's also a new uh, artwork plugin where they're going to be featuring community artwork for each month from different artists. And their first artist is Ophelia Mandara, who painted unique planetary ingress, sort of like mandalas each month that display the unique astrological configurations for that month. And it's kind of a cool touch for both the print and the digital planners that you can add for not too much. So Honeycomb, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanac is available in both print and online PDF versions. Um, I really like the PDF version, and you can get it in both six-month as well as 12-month increments, which is pretty cool. So you can find out more information about them on their website, which is honeycomb.co. All right, so that is our sponsor for the month. Um, what else is going on? You know, one funny thing that we forgot to mention in passing was on September 14th, a group of scientists announced mm-hmm. that um, a possible the possibility of life being discovered on Venus. And of course, all the astrologers at the time noticed that it was at the same time that Venus was closely squaring Uranus, I think, right? Yes. Yeah, that was a little striking, a little little weird. So it was like they the scientists noticed a specific type of gases like in the atmosphere of Venus, which if later confirmed could indicate like microbes or or some form of life on Venus. Yeah, that just seems like almost one of those literal expressions of an astro aspect where it's like, oh, there's this new unexpected out of the blue discovery to do with the planet Venus while it's in this Venus-Uranus aspect. It's just a weird little synchronicity that popped up a lot on social media. I was like, that's kind of cool. Yeah, totally. And also something that involved like technology in order to see it, which is a very Uranus thing, like being able to do something that you couldn't do 
otherwise by leveraging advanced forms of technology. And in this case, like a specialized um, telescopes, which were able to look at and analyze the atmosphere of like another planet in the solar system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So well, and that the, is the paradigm changing quality of Uranus, right? Uranus mm -hmm. challenges um, current views of things, right? Be like, what if the planets are alive, or that you know we're not alone in the solar system, life-wise, which has been the primary contention. Yeah, well, it's so funny because we're still on this weird, like, cusp of history where we don't really know yet, and it could kind of go either way. Where it's it's probably going to go one way or another. Of either, for some reason, the Earth is unique and life hasn't developed anywhere else in the solar system, and at least currently, like with the Fermi paradox, that's one of the things that. Um, People that speculate about things like this don't understand yet, which is that if there was life everywhere, we should see evidence of it all over the place by this point. And what does it mean, the fact that we don't, versus we might be right on the cusp of just realizing, no, the conditions of life are actually um, easy enough that it's something that's happening like all over the place. And, and we're right on the cusp of starting to discover that different forms of life occur like everywhere, even on like the planet Venus, just in weird locations or weird um, situations. Yeah. All right. So that's one news thing happened this month. Another major news thing is um, it was just announced there's a new president and a new vice president of the Association for Young Astrologers, which is a pretty exciting development that we wanted to shout out since I was an earlier president of the Association for Young Astrologers, and after me, Austin was also president of the Association for, for Young Astrologers for a while, right? Indeed. You made me do it. I did. <laughs> uh, there was a special, I took a trip to, I believe you were living in like San Francisco at the time and talked mm -hmm. you into it. I live in the East Bay, yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, I don't want to say curse, that that duty, that, that very um, important that duty. That sacred duty. Sacred duty has been handed off to a new generation. Yes. Um, and the new president is Samira Bichara, I believe is how you pronounce her name. And the new vice president is Janae, uh, Janae Anthony. I wrote it down as Janae Astrology, but that's not not right from her like Twitter handle. Yes. Yeah. Janae and Samira, congratulations. New yeah. Leadership. I'm pretty excited about that. That's a pretty major deal to have a new handing off. And also, good work and congratulations to the previous team. I, uh, previously the president, um, Danny Larkin, is handing things has handed things over in the past few months, and um, also our friend Joe Gleason, who was vice president, has handed things over to this new team. So it's kind of a generational shift in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. Very excited to see where they take the organization going forward. Yeah. Um, definitely. So you can find out more information about that at, I believe their website is youngastrologers.org, and their Twitter account um, is very active with um, announcements. They keep doing a monthly dinner and drinks thing each month, which is a lot of fun. I think you started that, right, Austin? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, let's see. It, Joe and Nick and I, I believe, started that. There's Janae Back Anthony. In, I want to say 2014 or something. But no, what a what an interesting and exciting time to be 
leading, uh, directing an organization that's about young people in astrology because there are, you know, um, there are more people um, who are new to astrology and young to astrology and young physically, but not always. Um, there, there are more young people in astrology now than there have been for, I don't know, what, 50 years? Ever. Like there's no, <laughs> right. like, like, you know, there are generations pouring in. Um, you know, we we walked the desert um, to get to astrology, but it, it is a uh, <laughs> um, dune has been greened, and there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of interest in astrology, a lot of energy, and a lot of enthusiasm. You know, I remember, as I'm sure um, you both do, ten years ago, um, we'd go to conferences, and you know, we it would be like us and two other people would be the under the under forties. Um, and yeah. there would be some older astrologers who were like wringing their hands or like, where, where are the young people? Is this thing going to die? You know, does this, yeah. does this end with us? Does this just kind of like, uh, what's the word kind of piddle out, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah, does it fizzle analogy. out? Um, yeah. Um, and the answer is no. Um, you know, there's been a tsunami. And so what a, you know, what a, what a great and powerful time, uh, to be, in those leadership positions. So I, I hope the, the crowns, the crowns sit as, uh, as lightly as they can, but it's a lot of responsibility and it's, uh, you know, it's a powerful time. Yeah. That's a really good point that we haven't seen a generational shift or an influx of this many young astrologers into the field since probably the Pluto and Leo generation that really came in in the 1960s, late sixties and early seventies when they were in their something 20s, basically 20s and 30s. Um, and then there was this weird gap where while I do know that there are some Pluto in Virgo and Pluto in Libra astrologers, it wasn't like this huge influx. But now it seems like the some of the Pluto and Scorpio generation, which is me, and a huge influx, especially lately, of the Pluto and Sag generation are getting super into astrology. Yes. It's yeah, and just thing. to clarify too- to- it's the Association for Young Astrologers, but there's no age limit. You don't have to be under a certain age to join or participate. Um, there's just a few comments coming through in the chat. So don't be intimidated if, you, if you're if you 40 and you want to get involved with it, like a fresh, younger organization in astrology. Or, you know, if you're not new to astrology, but you are for younger astrologers as yes. opposed to against them. You know, feel free to <laughs> to lend your support. To support because <laughs> yeah. it is for, not of. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, all right, so that was something I wanted to mention, and people can find out more information at youngastrologers.org and follow their social media accounts. Um, another thing I wanted to mention uh, that I just found out about in the past month was um, there was a a friend of mine and a listener of the show. Uh, named Dia Nunez, who was a, a listener of this show, a patron, and somebody I met last year, and she sadly passed away on July 22nd. Um, and I wanted to give a shout out to her because I actually had this interesting connection with her, and I actually met her um, a year ago, about a year, sometime last last year. Um, I went to my favorite local apothecary, and I was like standing in line and. There was like I don't know five or six people in there. I was getting some herbs, and um, this woman like was standing there off to the side, and she turned and looked to me and kind of uh, squinted her eyes a little bit, and then she like yelled out at the top of her lungs. She said, "Are you the Chris Brennan?" 
and uh, she recognized me, and, and I sort of like was shocked because then, of course, everybody in this little business like turned towards me and looked at me, and I very awkwardly said, "Yeah, I, I, I am." And she said, "I watch your podcast all the time. I love your work with Austin and, and Kelly, and I'm a huge fan and, and watch every month." And she turned out to be a local astrologer and artist who um, read charts and did work at some of the different local places here in Denver, like um, Apothecary Tingshura and Goddess Isis Books is one of the places that she read charts at and did different um, divination and healing modalities. But when I got sick in March and April, um, she checked in with me like every other day, and I have like chat logs of her checking in on me and Lisa every few days and seeing if I was okay, seeing if we needed anything and everything else, and um, also just like chat comments going back on YouTube where she would just like comment on our videos and was always very supportive going back a few years now. Um, so she got sick in July, and I reached out and talked to her and started trying to check in to see if she was doing okay. Um, and the last time I talked to her was actually on July 12th, and she was hoping that she was improving. And she said she didn't usually share it, but she shared her chart details with me. And we talked a little bit, and um, I got sidetracked and caught up in my own life and sort of struggles, and realized recently I hadn't talked to her in a while. And then I looked and tried reaching out, and it turned out that she had passed away just 10 days after I talked to her, um, which I was really shocked and. Um, saddened to find out about. So I just wanted to um, mention her in passing, both as a friend. This is another sort of like third house Mars retrograde transit that I've been dealing with, which is even though astrologers traditionally emphasize the 11th house for friends, the third house traditionally is also a place where mm -hmm. friendship shows up. Um, and for me, with the Mars uh, transiting and going retrograde in the third house, I think that was one of the Unexpected things that I later didn't know had happened and later found out about um, during the course of the Mars retrograde when it started revisiting some of those earlier degrees and, and causing a reflection on some of those things. Um, yeah, so have you guys? Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the third house as like a digression, but people can check out some of her artwork, which is actually really good. Uh, just by checking out her Instagram account, and that links to some of her other websites where you can see some of her work at Instagram.com slash DiaNunezArt. Um, and she worked with um, fluid paintings and different things like that, which were actually really good and really interesting. So I just recommend checking it out. Have you guys had um, anything like that in terms of noticing the third house in connection with friends? Absolutely. Um, when I entered a third house perfection some years ago, um, I had within, I don't know, a month, my, uh, my brother came to live in the same region of the country as I have for the first time. So there's the sibling part, but I also ended up, uh, spending a ton of time and getting a lot of help from, uh, two friends that I'd known for 20 years who were like brothers to me. Um, and I was like, oh, so the, the metaphorical, you know, part of like sibling is also real. Like there was the literal brother part, but then there were like people who were really close to me who had a, a similar relationship. 
And then it is, well, I feel, let me just say that's really sad. And I think that's really uh, beautiful that you're giving her a little memorial here um, before I, I just talk about yeah. house significations. No, I mean, I, yeah, yeah, I just I wanted to just because of having that connection and and her concern and care for me when I was sick and um, being similarly concerned for her, and then not knowing also while she didn't, um, she started having problems breathing, and um, I what little I've been able to find out was that she had a heart attack uh, when she went back into the ER for the second or third time in that month. Uh, but not being sure if it was related to to COVID or if she previously had COVID, and then that caused complications with her other pre existing conditions. But she was only born in like the uh, early nineteen or mid nineteen seventies. Just she really wasn't that old. She was basically you guys' age, right? Yeah, I think you mentioned she was in her forties. So very very sad news, Chris. So sorry to hear that. Yeah, um, but just in terms of the way that some of that's touching things and different people, you know, that that has touched uh, over the past year potentially, um, and wanting to thank listeners since we really um, we put this show out, but we don't always know how it's affecting people. But I know every once in a while when we go to a conference or something, we will have like you know hundreds of people come up to us and say thank you, or they'll mention some obscure joke that like Austin made. Four years ago, in a forecast, or they'll compliment Kelly for some, um, you know, shirt Usually she was the wearing. Flowers. Or the flowers, <laughs> like on an episode a few months ago, and we realized that there's some people that it has had a personal impact in, and who are listening in every month, even though we don't always know it. And sometimes we're able to build those personal connections with people, and it does make a difference um, knowing that um, and having that sort of interaction with with people, especially with with astrologers, other people that share this. Weird and interesting thing that we're all all into. Mm, absolutely, I mean, and that connection of shared interest type thing—it's so kind of third house, eleventh house crossover too, isn't it? Yeah, I was just thinking that. Yeah, I often think about that connection of like people who are siblings in spirit. So, like siblings in your heart, you know, when you feel about someone closer than like just a friend, but they are technically a friend. Um that I often and look, I I I my chart's a little unique with the third eleventh house crossover because I have the ruler of the third in the eleventh. And I'm just one of those um people that's lucky and that I actually get along with my genuine siblings. And then I have a few close friends that feel like siblings. So um that's kind of a nice thing. But you know, if other people have those placements, but it's that yes, yeah, that kind of kindred spirit vibe where you can talk to them for hours because you've got the same things in common. Right. Yeah. And, and for me, it was also a local thing of like meeting a friend locally because you don't. We have like hundreds of friends, you know, around the world or or colleagues that we run into different astrologers. But it's somewhat more unique running into another astrologer um, that you have that shared interest with um, in your own city or your own neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, shout out to Dia uh Nunes and I hope uh wherever she's at that she's doing doing okay at this point. Um so other discussion topics this month. Uh I I've done only done two episodes. I need to roll out a fourth here in the next week, which I think is going to be a Q&A that I'm going to start soliciting questions from ideally through Twitter because that's the best way to make people keep it concise is to tweet it at me. 
Um, but other episodes I did this month was Lisa and I sat down and did an episode on what techniques you can use with an untimed birth chart. And I know this is something that's tricky because a lot of professional astrologers will only read a chart if a person has a timed birth time. But um, a listener of the show brought this up to me as an issue of like accessibility and an, an issue of it being something that's, you know, a lot of people don't have birth times. So what can you do with astrology and can you use astrology still if you don't have a birth time? And I think the answer to that that we came up with was yes, there's still tons of stuff you can do without a birth time, right? 100% agree. Oh, yeah. So what are some of you guys' favorite things that you'll look at if you had to sit down and, and look at a chart with no birth time? Well, transits work great. You know, if Mars is on your sun, then Mars is on your sun. You know, that might change up to one degree during a 24 hour period. But, you know, um, like your most of the planet, uh, all the planets other than the moon um, are going to be in basically the same place. And mm -hmm. so, you know, if you've got, you know, when you look, if we're doing transits and you're looking at like, oh, this person has this. Mercury Uranus conjunction square Jupiter, like that complex will still get activated um, by a you know by a transiting planet. Um, so trans uh, there's a lot of transits that still work great. You can't locate them by houses from the ascendant, but there's still a lot to do. Yeah, there's plenty. And similarly, you know, even from a natal perspective, if you have Venus conjunct Saturn. Yeah, we may not know what houses it's connect to, connected to, so we may lose a level of specificity about what house is the conjunction in or what house might Venus rule and then how does that Venus-Saturn conjunction impact that. But you're still a chart that has Venus conjunct Saturn, and there are things that can be said about that even if we can't locate it in a house. And you know, there's also variations when, when, when a client says to me, so I, I can't recall that I've turned a client away without a birth time. Cause I'm, I've always been happy to proceed without a birth time. I usually just let them know, uh, you know, there's a few things I can't do and we might do a slightly shorter session because I'm missing like a layer of info, but there's still a lot that we can do that. And my interpretation of this was, it will still be useful to you. Even if I know technically it's not as perfect as it could be. Uh, and that's the approach, you know, that I've gone, if somebody shows up at my door, which is usually my inbox these days and says, can you provide support? And I'm in a position to do so. That's, that's sort of part of our role. I do have a, a personal favoring where when somebody shows up and genuinely has no idea what time of day they're born, I like to just default to put the sun near the ascendant or in the whole sign first house, just so I, not that I'm necessarily going to rely heavily on those houses, but I like to have something that's, that I can look at as a starting point. And that's usually my preference. I know a lot of people like to put the sun, you know, do a midday chart. I've always just loved the sunrise. Um, so do you guys have a default time that you use just to like plug the chart into your software? Yeah, Lisa and I had a whole discussion about that. It was interesting because we both tend to default to just using a noon chart because then we know the moon has been averaged Halfway. and can't be yeah. more than like six degrees off. But that's something we actually, once we were done recording, regretted and which wished we had gone into more because there is certainly something to be said for a solar chart 
as well as a lunar chart for that matter. And usually, when I do the horoscopes for the year ahead, we tell people,、um, you know, if you can try to read these horoscopes from the perspective of your ascendant or your rising sign. But if not, then favor、uh, your sun sign,、uh, especially if you're a day chart, or your moon sign if you're a night chart. And I think if the person doesn't have a birth time but knows if they were born in the day or the night, like using a solar chart or a lunar chart would be an acceptable and, and very useful thing to do. Yeah, I do houses from the sun and the moon、um, because、uh, that's. Part of the traditional corpus of techniques is secondary house systems,、um, and there are, you know, there are, there's lots of material for doing perfections from the sun and the moon as well. Yeah,、right. so you can you can use a lot of secondary、um, uh, secondary perfection, not progression techniques. Although you could use secondary progressions as well. Yes,、um, but yeah, I do houses from the sun and the moon. Um, if I know that it's day, I prefer the sun. If I know、mm. that it's night, I prefer the moon. Because a lot of times, be like, you know, I don't know. Mom said it was dark out.、Um, yeah, we don't know when. It was the middle of the night at some point, and so you know,、uh, as as、uh, should we say, as a, an extremely light form of rectification.、Um, you know, is it? Is, can you at least know whether it's day or night? Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's But, that's、um, helpful if somebody can say, "Oh, it was around lunchtime," and you go, "Okay, well, we're definitely doing a day iteration of this chart."、Uh, yeah, well, we、that. know that right. Everybody had breakfast, and then we all had to go to the hospital, and and you know, I don't know. Billy came out before dark. Yeah, but we don't know when, right? Yeah, because、yeah. there is there is a variation of of the I don't know my birth time, and it's always worth asking those questions of your clients. Do you genuinely have no idea at all, or is there a story in your family, you know, lore that is just what you guys are saying? You know,、um, so and so had just come home from work, and then we had dinner, and then we went to the hospital, or what, whatever it happens to be. But is there a story in the family that can at least give us some clues? And and maybe there's not, and that's okay.、Uh, But it's always worth asking those questions to clarify. Yeah, definitely, and then there's、yeah. going to be a whole range of variations within that, or shades of gray.、Um, you know, it is tough from a practitioner standpoint to go from doing like a timed birth chart to doing an untimed chart, and I often feel like it's sort of like fighting with one hand tied behind your back or trying to do something, and initially that can feel like. A major setback or debilitation, and not being able to use certain techniques that you would use otherwise, like sect or zodiac releasing or the houses or what have you. But sometimes I think it's also probably a good challenge because then you can really learn how to maximize and get the most out of what you do have and what you can use, like aspects between planets, like you mentioned, Kelly, or、um, sign placements between planets and things like that. And there's still like a lot of mileage you can get even out of you know fifty percent or seventy five percent of the system, even if you don't have that other twenty five percent. Yeah, and having a little discussion、um, about setting expectations for what、yeah. you can do as a practitioner with this information、uh, is important. Because if you're like, right, I can do、definitely. X, Y, and Z with astrology. Um, but I need a birth time. But I can do X and half of Z、um, yes. if you don't have a birth time. Yeah, absolutely.、Totally. 
Definitely. And and then, yeah, through the conversation, I'm just thinking again about sex, that, you know, if you see a Mars thing and a Saturn thing and one is clearly showing up, you know, in the story with the client is much more difficult, that might give you a clue, well, maybe this is a day chart or maybe this is a night chart. And then you don't know for sure, but you're making some educated um, guesses, if you like, just based on the feedback in in the consult. Um, but definitely, like to your larger question, Chris, no reason not to work with someone if they don't have a birth time. Just, you know, adjust accordingly. Yeah, definitely. And it's a good practice for astrologers to get into. That way, as an, ex- an issue of accessibility, you can perhaps be able to help more people than you might otherwise if you only ever were used to or or capable of dealing with time charts. So from that standpoint, it's also probably good to practice as a practitioner as well. Because uh, I know it's like a lot of practitioners, when you put that question up, there'll be jokes about like, I just wouldn't read the chart or, you know, uh, I don't want to read a, they would groan and say, I don't want to read an untimed chart. But um, as an accessibility issue, while I understand those issues and those restrictions and how frustrating it can be, uh, it's also a good thing to learn how to do. All right, guys, um, those are really my main discussion topics. We already touched on Chiron and um, the use or not use of that, so I don't think we really need to retread uh, that in terms of talking about asteroids. Um, anything else? What do you guys have coming up? Do you have any classes or conferences or events that you have going on? I've got an event I'm doing through Astrology University. It's a world event summit happening October 3 and October 4. And I'm going to be giving a 60-minute talk as part of that event to do with the astrology around the US election. So I'm just going to sort of put um, well, it's a 60-minute talk, so it's not every thought I've had about the election, but it's all the highlights or some of the main themes uh, that I think are relevant in terms of astro. And so that's coming up on October 3rd. And the info about that is on the Astrology University website. Uh, but that's kind of it for me for October. Then I'm having a little bit of a quieter month, which uh, was well-planned based on this month's discussion. Nice. Uh, what about you guys? Well, so I'm deep into my yearly classes. This will be October and November will be the seventh and eighth months out of eight. So I'm not doing any new classes, but in my role as the electional astrologer for Sphere and Sundry, Sphere and Sundry has a a series coming out in October and then another one in November. It will be Hermanubis in October and then the Empress series, which is a <gasps> Venus series in November. Oh, I'm excited for that one. They're good. The uh, one thing I want to say, the Hermanubis one um, had a really interesting election that was it was literally almost a year ago. It was the the Mercury Sun Super Kazemi, where Mercury was literally like you know eclipse doing a tiny little bumblebee eclipse of the sun, and we got it here rising in the day and hour of Mercury. Um, so I, I'm excited about that one. That one needed to be held on to for a while. Um, because Hermanubis is October appropriate. It is, um, you know, ghost pepper. <laughs> uh, right. But I, I was I was really excited that we figured out something uh, entirely appropriate to do with that strange and unique election. And then the, the Empress one is just a, a badass Venus election. 
And that was captured back when Venus was in Taurus, right? Indeed. Indeed. There wasn't much good Venus. That was when everyone was still kind of excited about quarantine and baking bread. And, you know, they're like, hey, maybe this is going to be all right. Yeah. That was when I learned to make butter chicken from scratch, actually. That I think yep. it was. Yeah. See? Yeah. I was so excited. I've never felt like I've attempted such a complicated dish. And then once I got in, it was really, really easy. And it's. And, and ne- yeah. now you're the empress of butter chicken. Now, yeah. <laughs> The We're EBC, serving- if you will. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> so if we could all get together and meal, I could uh I could feed you butter chicken. And it's a recipe that's mostly dairy free. So, you know, I've talked briefly about, you know, eating it with different kind of eating protocols. And this recipe uses some ghee, but it doesn't use like cream in it. So yeah, specialized Venus. <laughs> nice. Uh, I love that. I'm gonna have to get that recipe. Actually, I'm gonna ask you for that after this. Yeah, I'm gonna see if I can. Yeah. Yes, find you can it. like post post on Twitter or something. So, yeah. um, as for me, I we had talked about doing a fixed star, and I've been talking to Nina Griffin about doing a fixed star start episode for months. And I've been I encouraged a, a few weeks ago uh, Levant Laszlo to translate um, one of the earliest texts on using the fixed stars in natal astrology that survives, which is from a Hellenistic astrologer who wrote in Greek in, in Rome in the year 379 CE. And he's just known as Anonymous of 379 because we don't know his name, unfortunately. Um, this text was originally translated by Schmidt in the 90s, but it's been out of print for years now. So I encouraged Levant to start translating it, and he's been translating it and releasing it in sections through his Patreon. Um, at Horai, the Horai project. So um, at some point, I'm going to start getting together a fixed star episode to do here too long, and I'm really excited to have Levant um, getting ready to release uh, to maybe coincide with that uh, a full translation of that text on what different fixed stars mean when they're conjunct um, different important placements in your birth chart. So that, that's an episode I'm looking forward to, and I know both of you are pretty big on fixed stars as well, right? Love them. Yeah, that's actually um, that was that's so the the month of September in year one is we've just been doing fixed stars all month. Yeah, I'm in the middle of teaching one of my chart interpretation courses, and next week's class is on fixed stars, so it's very timely. Excellent. Um, yeah, well, maybe we can have a discussion about that at some point and pull things together. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm going to keep doing the astrology podcast next month. Um, thanks to all the patrons who support us. Um, you can get early access to episodes as well as access to our discussion forum or attend live recordings like this one by signing up through our page on Patreon. So that's the main thing I have to plug aside from my Hellenistic astrology course where people keep asking me um, where to learn astrology. And one of the discussions the three of us have been having over the past few weeks is how it's interesting how all three of us teach courses online and we also do you know most of our other work and interactions with people through Zoom. So it's been kind of weird how this year suddenly everybody is having to use Zoom and and moving towards online learning and everything else. But for the three of us, our entire like businesses and professional lives are pretty much patterned around that. And I teach my courses through theastrologyschool.com. Kelly, you have your courses at um, Astrology University primarily. 
as well as your website, kellysastrology.com, and Austin, you teach your courses through your website, austincopic.com, right? Yep. Yeah. So if people want to learn more about astrology, then I'd recommend signing up for one of those courses or all three of those courses, because it's actually interesting how many of our students kind of have gone between yes. the three. Mm-hmm. And it's going to have interesting like generational implications where I already see students who've taken all of our courses and are like this interesting blend of the best part of like all of our approaches. And I'm always uh, consistently impressed sometimes by like how good of astrologers they are already that early in their studies as a result. And I kind of wish I had had access to some of those things at that early stage of my studies as well. Yeah, it's I think enviable. it took us a, a long time to. I know for me, being in Australia, there just wasn't the access to that level of teaching. It took a long time to to find that, and and these days, like I am a bit jealous of people who can just jump in, whether it's with us or other people that are out there that are amazing that are still teaching. That you can just you know work with them, and it's fantastic. Yeah, totally. All right, guys. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and that's it for the forecast for October. So um, October Surprise is our main theme. We will be back again uh, sometime later in October with the forecast for November, and I'm sure things will begin settling down by that point. We'll probably have a very casual discussion about the astrology of October by late late or astrology of November by late October, right? I don't even have a good Aussie phrase for this. <laughs> Yeah, blank faces. Um, we'll uh, we'll yes, be back I'm next sure month, we, regardless. Yes, we'll be we'll be back next month. Yeah, so good. That's good all. luck. In the meantime, to everybody, I'm, I'm sure there will be there there will be some interesting October things to talk about in review, and um, the oh, hold on. do we want to? Yeah, end with I can a see the shadow moment? on the floor. I think we've a gigantic yeah. cat like walking yeah, hold around on. the background. She's. She's grown so much. I know that Look at her. from the breed that she was big. Let me <gasps> let me grab her. Sumo Copic is actually one of our sponsors uh, this month <laughs> on the Astrology Podcast. Um, at the end, you will you will notice thanks to shout out to Caitlin Copic and Austin's cat, who appeared last month as a very tiny kitten, has grown twice in size. Yeah, it still doesn't love being hugged, but oh, look at her. Yeah, so that's after just. I not- love when they you can hold them like a baby, so <laughs> cute. But she's not gotten any thicker, but she's like a foot longer. And with all that hair, she's, uh, oh yeah, but it's going to be yeah, a huge cat. Got- yeah, it's going to be awesome. All right. Well, we look forward to checking again next month to see if your cat has doubled in size again. Yeah, yes. Uh, otherwise, good luck, everybody, in October. Be sure to check in with us. Let us know in the comments how things are going, what your transits are like, and how you've experienced them, or if you notice any interesting things in the news that are coinciding with the astrology. And if it's interesting, we'll be sure to mention it in the next episode. So thanks for listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast. Good luck next month, and we'll see you again next time. Special thanks to the patrons who support the Astrology Podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons that are on our producers tier, such as Christine Stone, Nate Craddock, Marin Altman, Thomas Miller, Bear River, Catherine Conroy, Michelle Marillot, Christy Moe, and Sumo Kopic. Find out more about how to become a patron at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast.
Also, thanks to our sponsors this month, which include the AstroGold Astrology app, available at astrogold.io, the Portland School of Astrology at portlandastrology.org, the Honeycomb Collective Personal Astrological Almanacs, available at honeycomb.co, and also the International Society for Astrological Research, which is hosting an online conference September 12th through the 13th, 2020. Find out more information at esar2020.org, as well as the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening May 27th through the 31st, 2021, and you can find out more information about that at norwac.net. Finally, the software we use here on the Astrology Podcast is called Solar Fire Astrology Software, and it's available through alabe.com, and you can get a 15% discount with the promo code AP15.